three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer podcast, episode one hundred and fifty-one. Hello, number keeps climbing. Mm-hmm. Josh here doesn't have a freaking <laughs> Here you go. I'll edit this in for you guys. How's I, it feel? Do you, does it feel lighter, dude? While we were outside, I was like, Oof, it's a little, little chilly under the under the chin. Yeah, it really does. Like when you have a, a thick beard, it really does insulate the face quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, and know. insulates my double chin so you don't see it. But now it's out there for the world to see. Yeah, yeah. I, I just needed a little uh, <clears throat> a little break for my my skin. I don't know. It just got really bad this year. I don't know why. Uh, it's for anyone wondering. This is the first time I have uh, not had a beard in about twelve years. So. Uh, it was a shocking surprise to everyone in my life. Devin is not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually didn't even think to ask that question. Uh, yeah, she was not happy about it. Uh, she just kind of looks at me and laughs for the last couple of days. So. Yeah. You I got to get, get, you know, Joe Rogan talks about sometimes that thing that you just... Oh, it's j- like a little, the jaw Jaws thing. Jaws Work that fucking jawline muscle, yeah. you know? Or what, what's the other Be thing? you looking like Brad Pitt. Uh, mewing, is that what they I do? I don't know that, what that is. You gotta, you, you push the your tongue to the top roof of your mouth. Why do you do and that? And you just hold it. Why? Because it's it supposed to, it's supposed to, you know, do it or no. Do you feel it like? No. Not really. Oh. <laughs> You're not mewing enough. Yeah. yeah. The guy's name was Dr. Mewing that came up with it. But all the all the TikTok chads, that's their thing. I think I saw a YouTube video. Not a YouTube video. It was not YouTube. It was, a, it was an Instagram video of the Liver King mm-hmm. one time. And he was fucking... He would have this like towel that he would bite down on that would be attached to like a chain. That would oh, be attached yeah. to like a sled with weights on it. And he'd be like... Just like pulling fucking weights all over the place with his mouth. Oh, that dude. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Cra- crazy man that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was... Been an interesting couple of days for me. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, you've done it. You do it like every couple of years, I think, right? Yeah, it's been a while, but I don't really do it much anymore at this point. I feel like <laughs> you're like that ship. It's easier sailed. just to like clip it down a little bit. You yeah. Know? And, did, did you see the video I sent you of what we were watching? No, I don't know. Of, was it? of your music video. Uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was shaving in that. I yeah, believe. you were shaving in that, but you had the plugs, too. Yeah, yeah, the big white ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had the long, the, the scene hair, too, at the time. Yeah. I was like, we were going through, like, memory lane or something, and it was, like, in the recommended. I was like, oh, yeah. Click it. Yep. <clears throat> uh, hell, yeah. Well, I've got a list here things to talk about which is cool that means i'm prepared which is positive wow what's uh what's been new this last week anything aside from you not having a beard anymore (laughs) uh went uh, went to chula shot chula uh day before yesterday uh that was fun uh we did some stuff with non-bread for the solar eclipse um with non-bread yeah for the solar eclipse yeah they uh we put in, you're looking looking through a, the non yeah we put a piece of non over the sun that's like, <laughs> like your like eclipse that. glasses is is the non <laughs> yeah so uh that was that was one of alex's ideas so i think it's a good idea yeah it was good then um we did a little uh drink smash high speed that was fun i haven't i never done one of those it looked really cool so nice 
What else did I do? I don't think I did anything else this week. I'm mm. just catching up editing. Bro, we've had a we've had a busy week. Yeah, how about you? Tons of lessons, tons of interesting things to talk about. We had a video go kind of, I don't know if we've had a chance to talk. I don't think we've had a chance to talk about this since. No, we haven't. I mean, I feel like the last couple episodes were like reaction videos or guest videos. Yeah, right? it was. <clears throat> okay, so, so we had a client come into town from Chicago and spend the weekend with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had many clients do this in the past. I always plug it, let everybody know. If you don't live in the immediate Cleveland area and you are interested in still working with us, an option that you could do that we have many clients take advantage of is a condensed weekend program. So basically what that is, is we take our 10 session one-on-one program, which is 10 hours of time, right? Um, And we condense it down into four days where we do like three hours, three hours, two hours, two hours, right? Mm. And obviously that equates to 10 hours of total time. And the thing that I really like about those programs is it's not for if you want to like fully off-leash train your dog and the dog has zero training on it or anything like that, because obviously you need more time for those types of things. But what we can do is we could get all of the necessities established with the dog. So Mm -hmm. leash walking, basic positions, you know, from a command standpoint, we could get you to a place where you could manage the dog very well in, you know, 99% of circumstances, Mm -hmm. but we could really, really hone in on specific behavioral issues, right? So this particular client came in, She wanted to brush up on her commands and stuff a little bit. Mm -hmm. She had a little bit of training on the dog, and we were able to get the commands in a pretty good spot. But past that, she really wanted to work on um, off-leash recall was a specific thing that she wanted, and then dog socialization, right? Mm. So um, we were able to obviously hone in on those specific things and get them into a really great spot. And the dog socialization side of things, the dog came in, had some fear aggression issues, um, And we posted some video of him and it went like bananas viral on fucking Facebook, right? Which Mm -hmm. is a a random platform for it to happen on. But it's got like 3 million views on Facebook, like thousands of comments, whatever. Um, Instagram, it's doing very well on right now too. I think it's approaching like half a million views on Instagram. TikTok, it did pretty well on. I mean, just all all in all, it really kind of popped off a lot and it sparked all sorts of different questions and comments and concerns and, and stuff like that, mm. which I want to take today as an opportunity to kind of get into the weeds of some of those types of things. Because anytime you have a video that kind of starts popping off like that, you're going to have the internet coming full swing at trying to point out all <laughs> the things you're doing incorrect. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, unfortunately, most of those things that they said are just not really accurate. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so first off, what we're going to do is we'll show you the video, and then what we'll do is we'll start talking about some of it. Okay. Can I tell you the first thing that I'm noticing is yeah. when we're on the podcast, I usually am stroking the beard. <laughs> I'm over here stroking my chin. I'm like, what the heck? Little chin stroke. Yeah. Everybody likes it. <laughs> okay, here's the video. You ready? <clears throat> yes. Handle the in your faceness. 
Did we confirm that? Yeah. Let me let me just triple check. Yep. Thursday seven. Okay. Dang. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty fucking sweet. Yeah. So four days, we had four days. We did one full hour of socialization each of those four days. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and over that time, you see the dog progressed from initially shut down, right? Super scared, tail tucked, reacting and snapping at the other dogs to try to get them to go away because he was scared of them, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then we showed each day progress updates from yeah. it you know day two obviously in a small group he was starting to get curious and mm-hmm. sniff and interact day three day four you see he was actually trying to run around with the group a little bit socialize play mm-hmm. and we did a mix of doing it with the same dogs right so you'll see there were a couple of particular dogs that were present every single day yeah but every day we also added a new dog into the mix as well right mm-hmm. because a lot of times you'll find that the dogs will get comfortable with a few dogs if they meet them enough times right mm-hmm. but then you throw a new one into the mix and it can kind of derail them a little bit with stuff, yeah right for sure so you see obviously four days made pretty darn good progress for yeah. and, th- and this is an important thing to realize right Four days, guys. Yeah. Right? Because as we start reading some of these comments, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are acting like it was like four years. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah for and sure. it's four days. Yeah. Right? So what I want to do is we're just going to start reading some comments. Right? And we're going to just real time react to these comments. Okay. Right? So let me find the video on Facebook real quick here, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit. Oh, of course it's the Facebook. <clears throat> bro <laughs> facebook and tiktok the, the comments are 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 actually absurd though like a lot of them <laughs> okay <clears throat> so first one right mm-hmm. this is from bill oh thanks bill bill says i'm not impressed the only <laughs> thing that changed is the dog didn't snap at the other dogs in the end the body language was nearly identical all the way through the part you call play was not at all the way the dog went up on his back legs is not play. Okay, so let's break what this down fuck? here. First off, he's not impressed. Yeah, right. Dang. Bill. Well, Facebook, we're not live. We're not here to impress you. Yeah. Right. Sorry, Bill. Thing number two. The only thing that changed was the dog didn't snap at the other dogs. <laughs> that's an important thing that changed. Yeah, that's maybe the number one thing. <laughs> that's an important thing that changed. Thing number three. The body language is nearly identical all the way through. Okay, let's watch this one more time. Did he watch right? the same video? Okay, so here we go. So we have snapping. We have tail tucked, very insecure, snapping. We have snap. Yeah. <laughs> now we have tail up, sniffing, allowing to be sniffed. We yeah. have Pursuing interaction. I mean, obviously, like we could do this the whole time. We have continuing to try to sniff, right? The other point, the jumping up on the back legs. Guys, how many times have you watched dogs play with each other where they jump up on the back legs and paw at each other and do all those types of things? And this gets to a bigger problem. I saw a socialization video the other day. I think I might have sent it to you. Let me see if I did or not, because we'll use this as an opportunity to look at that as well. I believe we did. I think there was a socialization-specific one. 
And it just highlights a bigger issue in the dog world here. Where is it? I can't remember if I sent it from the Miracle page or not either. I think I did. Hold on. Bear with me a second, guys. <laughs> Got it. Here we go. Okay, let's watch this video. When they both go up in the air, that's, that's not okay. But when they're alternating, that's what you want. Because they're both saying, hey, you can be on top, you can be on top. You can be on top. Not, so like right now, Chapo is like on top a lot. So what we would do in a second is if Chapo doesn't allow him to get a chance, we're going to pull Chapo off and kind of calm him down. It, so right there, he kind of went under. So you just watch. So you see how Walter is the only one that's going down. And now Chapo is going for the neck. So this is where, go ahead, Henry, you'll pop and say, kind of calm down, and then they can play again. But you just kind of tell them, hey, you don't get to be on top all the time. All the time. Okay, and that's how you, so that's how you stop that. You want, Chapo should lay down and let Walter get on top too. Yeah. And that's how play should okay. be. Okay. Just, you want to monitor it and just, like, Chapo's not like being overbearing. So this is actually good teaching. Yeah. Chapo's like over, you see how he's letting him? Yeah. That's good. Okay. He's saying, hey, you learn to be on top. And then Chapo goes back. That's good play style, okay. not consistent, consistent, okay. consistent. Okay. See, now he's letting Walter do it, and that's what you want. That's what you want. When they Chapo. Okay, listen. This is where we get into people just don't understand socialization. Mm-hmm. They just don't. They don't know what they're looking at, and because they don't know what they're looking at, they get scared of it, and because they get scared of it, they try to control it, right? Mm. Every dog has a different style of playing with each other. Yeah. It's just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. And you have dogs that are more dominant. You have dogs that are more submissive. You have dogs that might act more submissive with certain dogs, but not with others. Yeah. And when I watch a video like that, it frustrates me because if you turn the audio off, right, mm-hmm. of what the guy is saying, and you just watch those dogs interacting with each other, they're having a good time. Yeah. They're playing. Right? Yeah. And who cares that one is on top more than the other? Right? Mm-hmm. They're playing. They're having a great time. Waffles loves to be chased around. Mm-hmm. That's like his favorite way to play with other dogs. Yeah. Right? He instigates them a little bit, and then he lets them chase him around all day long, and they try to run and grab him and jump on him and do all those types of things, and he rarely ever does that back to the other dogs. Yeah. Right? That doesn't mean that it's not healthy interaction. Yeah. That's how he likes playing. Yeah. Right? So these these two dogs, right? The one obviously was really on top and playing and the biting at the neck kind of thing and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. That's his play style. Yeah. The other dog, clearly, every time it was playing with him, would do the thing where she would roll over on her back and then da, 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 right? Like yeah. and that's just that's just the way it worked. Right? Yeah. It was fun, right? They liked it, right? But we have these pictures in our head of, oh, well, he's jumping up too much, and that's bad. But why is it bad? Explain to me exactly why it's bad, right? It's not. No. It's just not, right? Yeah. So it's confusing because then you look at, like, right, comments, right, like this, like like how this guy said, you know, let me pull this, let me pull it back up here. You know, the way the dog went up on his back legs is not play, right? Mm-hmm. So so first off, we just then saw a conflicting video that's saying that going up on the back legs is play, but they have to reciprocate and go back and forth with each other, right? Mm-hmm. 
which is also not the case, right? Like th- those two, those two ideas obviously conflict with each other. Yeah. And then you could look at it from the other standpoint of like, oh, well, no, he was trying to mount the other dog. But guess what? When Vera plays with all of my other dogs, she'll try to mount them from time to time. Yeah. Right? Oh, Which yeah. gets back to what is play. Play is a back and forth display of dominance of two dogs competing with each other. Mm-hmm. Right? And what is mounting? It's a way of a dog competing with another dog. Right? Yeah. And I've said this a thousand times before. Mounting is not a problem. Mounting, the response dogs have to mounting is usually where the problem lies with things. Mm-hmm. Right? So whatever. So that's comment number one. The next one. This is a big one that a lot of people said. How is this even remotely fair to the other dogs? Because this dog has issues you're forcing other dogs to be traumatized to. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. So (laughs) let's let's talk about this in a couple of different ways, right? We'll talk about it from the standpoint of just the fact that the comment is incorrect. Right, where traumatize, we're allowing the other dogs to be traumatized too. Right. So I told you we used the same dogs, obviously, for most of the social, and then Mm -hmm. we added in new ones. And you'll notice that two of the dogs that he snapped at, one was Newfoundland, and one was like a -a Bernadoodle that we have in. Mm -hmm. Right. And he snapped at both of those dogs. They said, "Whoa, bro, what the hell was that?" Right. And then they left him alone. And then. Later in the video, you literally see them running and playing and allowing him to be a part of the interaction with zero concern about him being in their space. So first and foremost, let's just use our logic here and say, do the dogs look traumatized at the end? Yeah. It's not not like you have them in an X pin and you threw five dogs in one X pin, you know? right. Do the dog... Let's just really simply... Do the dogs look traumatized at the end? No. The answer to that is no. No. They don't look traumatized at the end. But we create this perceived notion in our head that punishment should create long-term mental welfare concerns for the dog, right? Mm -hmm. And even though I did not deliver punishment, we could call what that white dog did to those other dogs a form of punishment to enforce a boundary right? He added a consequence to decrease the probability those dogs would come up and sniff him. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So he punished those dogs. And because science and the force-free agenda says punishment creates long-term welfare concerns, we have to say that those dogs will be traumatized because of this incident. But our eyes tell us something completely different. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So you'll notice a common trend with a lot of the comments in here that people are saying things that are being taught down the ladder of these should be universal truths in the dog world. And then if Mm -hmm. you just tune all that out and just watch the video, Mm -hmm. those things will not actually be what you're seeing. Yeah. Right. Which is why a lot of trainers out there say things like, hey, like, fuck the science sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. Look at the anecdotes of what you're seeing. Observe the dogs. Observe the reactions to the things that we're saying should be happening. And Mm -hmm. really sincerely ask yourself if they are truths or not. But the problem is everybody will eventually look deeper and deeper to try to find something. Like, like I think one of the comments in those thousands was, was something along the lines of like, well, no, you could... They don't necessarily look traumatized at the end, but you could tell by the way that they're playing that 
They're overcompensating by playing extra hard because they're concerned that this dog's going to snap at them again. Yeah. Right? So it's like <laughs> be, they're they're looking so happy <laughs> because they're playing so hard <laughs> with such confidence because of the overcompensation from yeah. what the other dog did. Right? So like we could just craft oh, these ideas out of thin air. It's yeah. absurd sometimes. It truly is yeah, absurd. It's insane. Right? So so that's side number one, which is do your eyes tell you that the dogs are traumatized at the end? Mm. Right? Yeah. No. They, they don't. Do not. Right? Now we can look at this. How is it remotely fair to the other dogs? Well, let's get back to a lot of issues that we have with the force-free world. Right? A lot of the force-free world preaches this notion that our dogs, we should reduce the chance of our dogs ever experiencing anything negative forever and ever till the end of time. Mm. Right. That's like kind of the overarching, you know, umbrella philosophy of the force free world is it's our job to protect them from mm. being nervous or scared of anything ever. Mm -hmm. Right. We should reduce the probability of them ever needing to experience consequences or boundaries. Okay. Right. By yeah. setting them up for success, keeping them under threshold, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Gotcha. Now, what does that create? That creates dogs that do not know how to exist yeah. in the real world. Yeah. Right. So how is this fair and constructive? Now, I'm not saying your dog should be around super dangerous dogs all the time or anything like no. that. But if we look at what happened in this, that dog set a bad. The dog didn't try to attack the other dogs, but he set a boundary. He said, I don't like the way that you're sniffing me right now. Now, we could debate mm -hmm. whether that's an appropriate boundary for that dog to be setting. Obviously, the point of this was to help this dog overcome mm -hmm. some of the need to set those boundaries, obviously. Yeah. But nonetheless, he set a boundary to another dog. Mm -hmm. And the dogs, because they are well-balanced dogs, did not crumble from that boundary being set because <laughs> yeah. we avoid boundaries at all costs. The dog said, oh, okay, you don't want me to set this boundary, or you don't want me to do this thing right now. You're setting a boundary, so I'm going to respect that boundary and go do something else, right? Yep. That is a very, very natural and normal thing that every dog should experience at some point and know how to respond appropriately for. 100%. Right? Yeah. Were you gonna say something? No, yeah, I was just gonna say like if you <clears throat> you remember that movie Bubble Boy, <laughs> like great movie. First yeah, off. great <laughs> movie. Look how terrible his life was. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> well, we're equating this to, to Adam Sandler and Bubble Boy. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah it's like you're you're making you, you, like you said, like if that which inevitably at some point in your dog's life it's gonna happen. Like there's gonna be some thing that happens and they're yeah are they going to be just chill with it like oh it's cool mm -hmm. or are they going to crumble and yes. freak out now listen this would be a different i would say you know and, and actually the staff podcast touched on this quite a bit um in one of their last episodes okay. of this idea of um you know fear aggression versus like dominance based aggression right yeah. so so a dog that's acting out of fear and might not be just like outwardly going after dogs or people or whatever it may be mm -hmm. um, which is kind of what this dog is doing right mm -hmm. he gets scared and when dogs cross that threshold he has to set that boundary with yeah. a lot of intensity right then you have like dominance-based aggression or forward aggression or there's all sorts of different terms for it which is dogs that are basically just seeking out conflict yeah. right they're going out of their way to go attack the other dogs that aren't mm -hmm. even doing anything to them yeah. right that would be a different story if we mm. were putting a dog into that group 
with no intervention from our part and just letting him just repeatedly go after dogs that were minding their own business, mm -hmm. that would be an unfair situation to put dogs in. And that would be a different place where we would step in and intervene and not allow for that to happen. So the other dogs realize we got your back. We're going to set those boundaries for you. Yeah. Right. That's not what's happening at all in this. If anything, that's the most normal situation a dog can be in, which is they're interacting with another dog, dog sets a boundary, and those dogs learn to leave that dog alone. That is essential for any dog to learn, not just to, to help other dogs overcome some of their hurdles, mm -hmm. but to help keep them safe. Because where do a lot of puppies get themselves into trouble is they don't know those boundaries yet. They continue to persist, and then they wind up getting hurt because of it. Yep. Right? Yep. So your dog should experience some of that kind of stuff. 100%. Let's see what else we got here. Okay. <laughs> this is from Lex. Lex says, this is called flooding, and it's one of the most unethical and ineffective ways to train a reactive or aggressive dog. I wish trainers like this one invested time in getting a proper education because they clearly have no idea what they're doing. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Right? So, so let's start off with flooding. Mm -hmm. Right. So what is flooding? Right. Let me pull up the actual definition of it. My actually, let me see how accurate my definition is. Okay. It. Let's test myself a little bit here. So sure. flooding is basically exposing your dog to a trigger in large doses. So putting them in a situation where they are over threshold, right? You have essentially, you're putting so much stimulus on them uh -huh. where, um, you're essentially putting so much stimulus on them where they don't react and they learn to just internalize their response to things as opposed to outwardly react to it. Do you got the definition or you want me to look I'm up? getting it up right now. You keep going. All right. Well, you read it to me. That's what I need to know before we move on. Yeah. <clears throat> so like examples would be obviously like if your dog is really reactive to people yeah. or other dogs you would take them into like a really really busy populated park where there's so much stimulus going on around them that they can't single out any one thing which reduces the probability of their reactions happening yeah all right <clears throat> let's define flooding flooding is a full immersion training technique applied both in humans and animal psychology it consists of forcefully exposing the dog to the stimuli that triggers its fears and caused the original trauma. Read that again. Okay. Um, flooding is a full immersion training technique applied both in humans and animal psychology. It consists of forcefully exposing the dog to the stimuli that triggers its fear and caused the original trauma. I feel like that's not really a definition though that was the best i could find there definition of flooding in psychology here we go flooding here we go <clears throat> a technique in behavior therapy in which the individual is exposed directly to a maximum intensity anxiety producing situation or stimulus either described or real without any attempt to without any attempt made to lessen or avoid anxiety or fear during the exposure. 
An individual with claustrophobia, for example, might be asked to spend extended periods of time in a small room. Flooding techniques aim to diminish or extinguish the undesired response to a feared situation or stimulus and are used primarily in the treatment of individuals with phobias and similar disorders. It is distinct from systematic desensitization, which involves a gradual step-by-step approach to encountering the feared situation or stimulus while attempting throughout to maintain a non-anxious state. See also implosive therapy. Okay, so... I feel like I was pretty spot on with it. Yeah. This is obviously worded way better than I described it, <laughs> right? So it's a maximum intensity anxiety producing situation or stimulus or, or exposed to a maximum intensity anxiety producing mm-hmm. stimulation uh, or situation. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, mine so, was from McCann Dogs. So well, Yeah, you know, yes. this is the American Psychological Association. Yeah, yeah, that's better than McCann so this Dogs. Is, this is a pretty good one. Okay, so, so here's the thing. First and foremost, is it flooding? Like... Sure. Right. Like, but, but like with that logic, we would say that if you're doing anything with the dog over threshold, it's flooding. Right. Because it basically says if you're exposing the dog to something that is maximum intensity, anxiety producing situation or stimulus without any effort to reduce the, um, reduce the anxiety. Right. Hmm. Which is pretty much any situation you do, right? Like them bringing their dog into our facility right, in many cases, is flooding. Yeah. Right? Because you're bringing them in, and we're not doing anything to avoid the anxiety, right, involved in the process, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so so my issue is, okay, so this dog has an issue with interacting with other dogs, right? Yeah. Let's look at a way that we could do it in a non-flooding way, right? <sighs> okay, so... First and foremost, let's start by saying this dog doesn't have an issue with being around other dogs. Mm. You could have him three feet away from another dog, and he's not going to do anything. Yeah. He's fine. It's not a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. His trigger does not start until the dog tries to interact with him, Mm. right? That's it. Plain and simple. Really? Right? So in order for us to do it in a way where it is not technically considered flooding is we would have to put him with another dog. We would have to allow that dog to to start approaching until I start seeing the stress happen mm-hmm. and then remove them from the situation. Mm. Have the dog approach right to that line where it starts becoming stressful, yeah. remove them from the situation, and then using counter conditioning and stuff as well, right? Mm. So that the dog's threshold starts becoming increased so that when the other dog comes up and starts sniffing before he feels like he needs to set the boundary we're removing him from the situation we're Mm. removing him from the situation now we could argue that if i did that for 27 years for the end of time right Mm. i might be able to hit a point where other dogs can come and sniff him and he doesn't react (laughs) and whatever Right? You say 27 years. 27 years to the end of time, <laughs> right? Okay. And if you have perfect timing with everything, yeah. right? And if you have perfect control of the other dog that you're using where you could on a dime call them away from the dog, which is not an unrealistic thing to have, obviously. But like, at what point do we say, like, for many dogs, walking out their front door is flooding. For yeah. many dogs, having a guest walk into your house is flooding, mm-hmm. right? At some point, we have to say, this dog's threshold is unreasonable. 
mm-hmm. it is not conducive to help the dog <laughs> overcome yeah. day-to-day hurdles or for me to be able to live a normal life with this dog, Yeah. right? And on top of that, we have to look at the things work. This is a big key, I think, when it comes to any of these types of training techniques is, is the thing that's happening actually scary? And I understand dogs can have a different perception of scary, but in many cases, dogs have a perception of what is scary because of their anticipation of what might happen. It's mm. not that the dog sniffing them is so aversive that yeah. they need to stop the dog from sniffing them. It's that he has a perception in his mind that the dog sniffing them is going to lead to something really, really negative happening. Mm-hmm. So by knowing that that's where the issue actually is coming from, I can allow these situations to play out in a controlled manner with mm-hmm. guidance by quote unquote flooding the dog with another dog interacting with them and not doing anything to make it less stressful. And I could just reassure him that these dogs are stable and are not going to attack you if you start getting stressed out over things. They're gonna respect your cues and your mm-hmm. boundaries that you set. And the big key, the human is not going to intervene and create more problems because basically where this dog's issues rooted from was He was very social. His Mm -hmm. owner used to socialize him all the time. His owner's mother owns like a grooming salon, right? Mm. Uh, And she used to take him there all the time to socialize. And one day he had a bad incident with another dog, right? They kind of got into a little bit of a scrap with each other. Chaos ensued. Owners are jumping in, screaming, yelling, right? Like it just, it was just a really traumatic experience that Mm. whatever, we probably could have traced back and said, this is why the fight first started, right? Mm. These are the things you did to create it. But it created this really, really negative association with other dogs for him. And from that point on, he was never able to socialize successfully again. Right. Mm -hmm. So in his mind, he needs to proactively defend himself against other dogs from something like that happening again. So we're basically putting him in this situation to experience these things where he thinks something is going to happen. And we repeatedly show him through flooding that that thing is not actually happening. I promise you it's not Mm going to happen, which builds confidence, which allows them to overcome the hurdle. Yeah. Right. So that is why I'm okay with flooding, though everybody seems to like make it sound like it's this horrible thing. Yeah. Right. Um, there's, there's, I mean, there's numerous other examples uh, that you could describe as far as flooding, like taking dogs out into public, right? Yeah. Let's say your dog is really reactive of strangers, right? And has reacted aggressively to try to make strangers go away while you're out on the walk. Mm-hmm. If we root back the reason why the dog is being aggressive, it's probably not because being in those situations is so inherently aversive, but it's probably due to the fact that at some point in time, before the dog started getting bad with this, maybe we started having people constantly invading the dog's space or dogs invading the dog's space, which was really aversive to them. They had a negative experience. And now every time they go into public, they're anticipating that stuff happening again, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So by making sure that doesn't happen and exposing them in a controlled manner and flooding them into those types of environments, over time, the dog starts realizing, I go there, I'm scared that this thing might happen, but that thing doesn't actually happen, which then builds confidence. Yeah. Right? Um, I think some of these examples they use, like a a person with claustrophobia might be asked to spend extended periods of time in a small room 
again, we get into like, like I, we just need to know more details, right? Because like, mm. okay, like let's say somebody's claustrophobic and we stick them in a fucking bathroom for 48 hours. Mm. Like obviously that is like, <laughs> like, like the act of like, you could just use your own imagination. The act of being in a bathroom for 48 hours is inherently pretty aversive. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, though that person might shut down in that situation, mm -hmm. like they're shutting down, not because of like a thought of something bad happening in the future, mm -hmm. but they're shutting down because something bad is actually happening in that moment and there's nothing they can do about it. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. I mean, and I, I think <clears throat> the claustrophobia example is like, that's that's a little wild out yeah. there. I mean, that's definitely like flooding, like face, face yeah. your fears kind of thing. Or, or an, another one that that I I've seen people make in the comments is they talk about like, oh, if you're, um, if you're freaking, uh, 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 um, if you're scared of of snakes or spiders, right? Mm. Like doing the shit they do in fucking like Fear Factor, <laughs> which is like we're just gonna put you in a box and cover you with nine hundred mm. of them. It's like that would be very, very, very overwhelming because the spiders or the snakes are inherently aversive to me. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> so so you kind of have to just use your best judgment and ask yourself the question of, is this like a normal, is this a, a rational fear or an irrational fear that the dog has? Yeah. Where is the root cause of the fear? And let's overcome that yeah. while flooding them into these environments. Exactly. Well, and, that, and this dog is a perfect situation of that where it's like he was good, had one event, yes. and now it's like we have to show him again like, yes. hey, it's not going to happen every time. Like hundred percent, it, it probably will never happen. Maybe to you, hundred percent. So I, I think in this case, is that's the only way you're going to get over it, unless, like you said, you have twenty seven years to, to yeah. overdo it. it. So, so obviously, back to that comment. This is flooding. So, so yes, it's flooding. But in addition to flooding, we are aware of making sure that the actual aversive thing that he's scared of happening is not actually happening. So, yeah. So I think I heard somebody say it at one point. It's like flooding with guidance. Right, it's like it's controlled flooding. We'll call yeah, it, right. For sure. <clears throat> then the second part of it is, it's one of the most unethical and ineffective ways to train a reactive or aggressive dog. Right. Okay. So by saying it's unethical and ineffective, ineffective would mean that it does not heed results. Yeah. This is where you get back to <laughs> what do your eyes tell you? Yeah. Does the dog look better? Does the dog look the same or does the dog look worse? True. Right. And I asked better. many of these people those questions and they would not answer the question. Oh, of course. <laughs> they would not answer the question. Yeah. It doesn't fit their narrative. It doesn't fit the narrative. Right. <clears throat> okay. Next one here. We got a lot of comments on the muzzle. Right. Mm. So this person said that muzzle is too small to be used longer than a short five minutes. Breathing should not be restricted. Full pant room needed. Okay. First off, you'll see in the video, everybody can go ahead and watch it. We can play it again here if you want, right? There is a solid three inches <laughs> under that dog's jaw yeah. that he could fully open his mouth and breathe. Mm -hmm. He could pant. He could drink water with it on. He could eat treats with it on. It is snugly and comfortably fit, and it is completely secure. Yeah. Baskerville muzzles are made for prolonged use for mm -hmm. those reasons that they allow the dog to do all of those things. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> um, 
I'll find a couple other ones on the muzzle specifically because I actually have a couple muzzles here that we could talk about. Okay. Cool. Many people said, are those e-collars on the dogs? So again, instead of just watching the video and observing the dog's behavior, we see that there are e-collars on the dog, which what narrative does that play? Oh, there's e-collars on the dog, which means that you're suppressing the behavior. And anytime we're using an e-collar, the dog's behavior should be worse after, right? <laughs> Yeah. So so it was funny because a lot of the people that were talking about the e-collars on the dog, I asked them, they they said, they oh, those are e-collars. on. They said, are those e-collars? I said, yes. They said, oh, well, you know, unethical trainers like you just know how to suppress behaviors. Okay, guys, I said this a bunch of times and nobody believed me. Two things. One, not one single correction was given to this dog with an e-collar, with a prong collar, with a leash, with anything to help him overcome these things. Yeah. I did not need to do anything aside from control the environment that he was in mm -hmm. in order for him to overcome these hurdles. Yeah. Right? Thing number two, they said, well, if you've used the e-collar before with him, even if you didn't use it in this training exercise, he knows what that e-collar means. Oh, God. Which, <laughs> right? I mean, he goes... Yeah. <laughs> You can't win, Josh. You right? can't. Like, you can't win. He knows what the e-collar yeah. means and is sitting there in fear <laughs> of what the corrections might be coming, right? Oh, so this is another one that was actually really fun because I was able to, and again, people didn't believe. You can believe me if you want. You cannot believe me if you don't want, right? Yeah. Okay. Guys, so this dog came in for a week-long program or, or a weekend-long program, right? When he came in, day one, he did have an e-collar on his neck, but it was because his owner just purchased it and knew we were going to be using it at some point in the training process. Mm -hmm. We did not use the e-collar with him until day three. Okay. So, so he had never experienced yeah. electronic stimulation yeah. on his neck until day three, which if you've seen the video was well after he started making all of the progress. Yeah. But he, but he knew what it was, you know. But he knew what it was. He was in fear. I <clears throat> okay. Can't make this stuff up, folks. Yes, obviously, many of these other ones. This is not training. Period. It is a temporary fix without addressing the underlying problem. Okay. What? We just talked about the underlying problem yeah. and how we were combating the underlying problem. The underlying problem of this behavior is his fear of what might happen when he's socializing with another dog. So yeah. we're addressing the underlying problem by making sure he does not experience the thing he's scared of potentially happening so his confidence can grow. Exactly. What is he watching? <laughs> Methods, <laughs> Methods like these do fail. Perhaps not 100% of the time, but certainly more often than not. And it isn't the irresponsible trainer or owner that suffers. It is the dog who more often than not ends up being euthanized. Okay. First off, any training method can fail. And failure does not come from the training method. Failure generally comes from not following the training method and the safety protocols well enough. So let's say, how could this method fail? I'll give you an example on how this method could fail. So by the end of this program, was he perfect? No, it was four days, right? Mm -hmm. Did he make massive progress? Absolutely. Yeah. Does it now need to be generalized to other dogs that he meets? Absolutely. Yeah. So what does the owner need to do in order to maintain this? Because that was another question a lot of people asked is like, how is the owner going to follow up with this now that the dog is not with you anymore? Right. Mm -hmm. 
Well, she saw from start to finish how he progressed from being at his worst to at his best, Mm -hmm. right? We created a blueprint of how we introduce him to other dogs in a safe manner and help him overcome things at this level and achieve this level. So what she needs to do is every time she introduces him to another dog and generalizes this to another dog, she follows the exact same process. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. How could it fail? What we'll see sometimes is that owners will have a couple successful goes with this. And then what they do is one of two things. One, they start getting a little too willy-nilly with what dogs they're introducing their dog to. Mm. They start introducing their dog to the wrong dogs. And then a bad situation happens because it was the wrong dog to socialize your dog with. And it reassures that fear of what might happen again. Yep. That's thing number one. Thing number two is the dog starts doing really, really good for a while. And then we don't follow that blueprint anymore. We say, ah, he'll be fine. Mm. We'll just let it happen, (laughs) right? And get a little too confident with it. You put him in a situation, a bad thing's happen. You don't have the safety protocols in place. And then it sets the dog back again, Mm -hmm. right? So sure, that's a risk. It absolutely is a risk. But you know what else is a risk? You saying that we shouldn't introduce this dog to other dogs because mm-hmm. he has these aggression issues. So we're just going to avoid other dogs forever and ever till the end of time. And then you avoid them until you can't avoid them anymore, until something bad <laughs> actually happens. Yeah. And then you're set back because of it. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> um, obviously, these other ones, so unfair to put the dogs in the position of being charged at. Shot collars on most of them. Oh, my God. Okay, we talked about this before. We talked about why it is a fair position to put the other dogs in, why nothing bad is actually happening to them. Shot collars on most of them. Again, we talked about in this particular dog's case how, obviously, we didn't even use the shock collar with him until day three. (laughs) So, clearly, that didn't cause any problems with him. And then all the other ones that are happy running and playing and having a great time because they have e-collars on their neck it means that they're traumatized yep which we know is bullshit right so again use your eyeballs when you look at this dog does this dog scream traumatized right we see this a lot like and we hear stories of this all the time where clients are out and about with their dog and the dog's being unbelievably well behaved and people come up and they're like oh my god how do you get your dog to behave that way I want my dog to listen that way. He's so well-mannered. He's so calm and polite, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then they say, wait a minute, what's that on his neck? And then we say, oh, it's it's an e-collar. And they go, oh, (laughs) got it. Right? Yeah. So so your eyes told you before Mm. you knew there was an e-collar that, wow, that is a really sound, solid dog. Yep. But- your brain tells you because you've been told e-collars make things worse mm-hmm. that that is a really 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 sad traumatized dog. Yep. Right? Jesus. You got to break the mold sometimes, guys. Like yeah. this is this is the issue is like so many people just like they just I this is going to this is going to be the most uh, uh red pill thing that I've ever said in my life. Are you ready for this? <laughs> okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Give it to me. So so Hold on, let me let me gather my thoughts because because I had a particular thing. I think I just lost it for a second. Okay, yeah, yeah, here it is. You ready? Yep. Some there's just so many sheep out there. <laughs> I've never said that before in my life. <laughs> Got a tatism right, here, right? But like 
But like that is kind of like I feel like when when people say like you're just you're you're sheep, right? Mm-hmm. What they mean is that they just follow and listen to anything they're told without dissecting it a little bit. Yeah. And they can't come to their own decisions about things, right? And yeah. because they were told that this is bad, this is bad, this makes things worse, they refuse to step outside of that mold for a second and ask themselves the question of, wait a minute, this tells me this, but this shows me something totally different. Exactly. It's wild. Yeah. Right? Okay. Um, all right. This was actually a good question, right? So there was, obviously I'm reading some of the negative ones right now because they're mm. fun to kind of pick apart a little bit, but there were some good questions in it. So this person said, so I'm curious, help me understand this. The muzzle is on the dog, not only for the other dog's protection, but to prove to him that the biting and defensive response doesn't work and isn't necessary. Correct. He had plenty of room to avoid the other dog. And it looks like you still started with one dog then two dogs but with comfortable temperaments so gradually he was shown by the other dogs that he wasn't in any danger he didn't need to freak out at the four-day stage it looked to me like he was trying to figure out what to do in one example the mounting so instead of oh shit i have to fight he changed into hmm what could i do here did i get all that right and i said wow <laughs> you did pretty good actually <laughs> like yeah. that was that was a pretty sound uh uh example of what's going on. So I'll explain to people exactly what's going on with it cuz a lot of yeah. people again we could only get into so many comments with this but like there was a lot of people that also just said like oh I'm going to try this method. And mm-hmm. and I was like try what method? And they were <laughs> like we'll just put a muzzle on the dog. I was like no 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 no. no. <laughs> Putting a muzzle on the dog is not a method. No. Right? And that's one thing that I had on my list here that we're only one fucking thing in yeah, at this think- point. <laughs> so, so I said, muzzles are a safety protocol, not a solution. Mm-hmm. Right? Let me say that again. Muzzles are a safety protocol, not, not a, a solution. solution. Yep. So put in, Michelle had a good post about this the other day. Let's pull it up for a second here. Okay. We're just, we're pulling everything up right now. Hold on. Actually, I think this might have been t- literally this morning that they posted this. So she said, yeah. Is that if you have a dog that you're having to use a muzzle for, oh, hang on. Or, and you're going out in public, the muzzle at that point should be not because you don't have control of the dog. It should be that right. you can't control the environment they're in. But if your dog is still out of control, slapping a muzzle on and taking it there is inappropriate. You should not be doing that. Your dog shouldn't be actively lunging and muzzle punching people and not being able to function in that type of setting. If that's still happening, then you need to scale back and either do more low-key training and not outdoor shopping center or something like that quite yet. Those moments are to have the muzzle on the dog because I'm confident I can control this dog. But if a random kid came up and tried to grab its ear, I need to cover my ass and make yeah. sure that nothing is going to be dangerous about this situation. Right. You've already worked your success up to that instead of just. Yes. Okay. So, so basically, in a nutshell, she's saying if your dog is out of control and you don't have a plan on how to overcome your dog's issues of being out of control, yeah. don't just put a muzzle on the dog and continue to put him <laughs> yeah. in a situation exactly how you've already done it up until this point that's caused the dog to be out of control, <laughs> yeah, right? Though to the outside looking in, it's like people that don't know anything about what they're looking at there might just think, oh, they just put a muzzle on the dog mm-hmm. and that's it, right? Yeah. 
Well, yes, in the case of this dog, we just put a muzzle on the dog and let the dog work through some of its issues. But all of the changes we made weren't things we were doing. They were things we were not doing, right? So we were not causing problems by having resources out that the dogs can possibly fight over. We were not interacting with the dogs to create conflicting messages of you need to guard me. We were not putting the dog around unstable dogs that are not going to respect his boundaries or be too intrusive mm. uh, or, or or be potentially unsafe to reassure his fears, right? So with yeah. this individual dog, there was a lot of things we did on top of just putting a muzzle on the dog, yeah. right? So whatever. So back to the the comment that this person had so they were they were pretty spot on so they said i'll I'll read it again here right so um the muzzle is not only for the other dog's protection which that part is 100 percent accurate Mm -hmm. obviously as we're doing these types of things we need to keep the other dogs safe right but to prove to him that the biting and defensive response doesn't work and isn't necessary so doesn't work and isn't necessary the only part i would i would disagree with is the doesn't work right Mm. I think a very important skill for dogs to learn that have issues socializing with other dogs is that they can set boundaries and that those boundaries do, in fact, work, right? And a lot of these dogs, especially if we've tried to suppress it in the past with with behaviors like this, or other dogs have never respected those boundaries and the socials have gone bad and stuff, is they start off with this like level 100 boundary setting, Mm. right? So in his case, his boundaries were like full bore, like get the fuck away from me, Yeah. right? Yep. Um, and as he learns that that worked, the next time he's going to be able to try it with a little bit less intensity. Right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, that worked before. Maybe I don't have to put all of that into it. Mm-hmm. And then if that gets reinforced, like that worked too, maybe the next time I could even get away with a little less intensity, right? Mm-hmm. Where you get them down to a manageable level of boundary setting, right? Yeah. Um, but the part on, so 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 I would disagree with the doesn't work but that isn't necessary, she's spot on with, yeah. right? Because again, if you look at the root cause, the root cause is what might happen, not what's happening in the moment, mm-hmm. right? So as he runs into these situations and he realizes he can set boundaries, but also nothing bad is happening, he starts to realize that the behavior isn't necessary, which mm-hmm. is where you see the total extinction of the behavior, Yep. right? So it's a twofold thing that's happening. We're showing him his boundaries do work, we're keeping other dogs safe while he's setting those boundaries, which teaches him to, to de-intensify it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then we're showing him that nothing scary actually happens, which helps him overcome the hurdle. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I like that comment because that really, they did do a good job of, oh, let me look at what I'm seeing and mm-hmm. let me ask some intelligent questions on what's happening. And they they hit it spot on. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. Do-do-do. Let's see what else we got here. And we got a bunch of really awesome, you know, comments and stuff. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, how many comments did you get on that thing? Like 2,000. Jesus. Yeah. Went viral, huh? Yeah, dude. 3 million views. That's pretty crazy. Like, so that Facebook. That one got 3 million? 3 million views on Facebook. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do do. Yeah, I mean the rest of these are all like pretty much good comments. I mean, there's there's plenty of other ones here, right? But yeah. uh, but th- that's in a nutshell, like all the things people were stay- saying, you know. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, I mean, it's you know, and then the other big one was, you know, people were claiming that the muzzle is not bite proof, which also means that the muzzle is unsafe to use, which is also kind of we we Paige and I last night made a video that will be coming out in the next couple of days. That's all on dissecting muzzles. And I have them all here because right. we were going over them, right? So like we use the Baskerville Ultra. And yep. I went into all the reasons and the pros and cons of this particular muzzle and you know showed how, you know, when a lot of people say these muzzles aren't bite proof, what they mean is one of two things. One, you can get your fingers in this muzzle if you're, mm. you know, not smart about it, obviously. Yeah. Which, yeah, you could run a risk of getting your your finger fingers bit in that situation, mm -hmm. right? Um but we also looked at then most of the other bite-proof muzzles on the market, and most of those maybe don't have as big of holes, but you could absolutely get your fingers in them still. Right? Oh, yeah. The other side of things is because these are designed to drink water and eat uh, treats through, they have a, a notch right here and a notch right here, right? Mm -hmm. And basically, if the dog really had a lot of intensity and tried to get to you and compressed this front, they could get their teeth past that and land a bite still. Right. Yeah. So it's absolutely, I don't want to say it's not a possibility, but if it's sized appropriately enough, you have to have a really, really, really fucking committed dog in order yeah. for that to happen. Because again, that is really hard to yeah. compress. Here's the problem. A lot, they were, a lot of people were sending freaking pictures of these muzzles saying they're not bite proof. And they were showing me pictures of knockoff ones. And I'll show you this. I literally went on Amazon and purchased them to make a video about it because I thought it was funny. So this is a knockoff one. This is one of the one of the pictures was a dog biting a bite sleeve through yeah. this exact muzzle. Okay. So so look at this, right? So I'm pushing as hard as I can, and I can't really compress that. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, is that was just like rubber. Bro, it's just like it's it's yeah, it's oh my god, it's trash. Yeah, right? it's fucking trash. So yeah. it's like, yeah, I said a Baskerville muzzle, not a Baskerville lookalike muzzle, right? Literally. And then the other ones, like this one, is another one, right? This one doesn't have the center safety strap on it right here, oh. right? So it makes it really easy for it to Slip come off, off their yeah. face. So that's one risk of this one. The material is better, but this one I can compress much easier yeah. than that one. It's a, it's a different material. And somebody yeah. else said in the comments, it doesn't matter that it's not the same one. It's the same material. It's like, this is not the same material as this. This is definitely not the same material yeah. as this, right? Dang. Like again, like, look at this. Here, yeah. I'll flatten that whole fucking thing out. See that? Yeah. Ugh. I can barely, yeah. I could do it, but it's much harder with yeah. this, right? And then on top of that, if you look at this, see this notch here? See how deep that is? You mm -hmm. can get your hand all the way into that. This one is designed with these little grooves. So I yeah. can barely get my hand into there. Yeah. Right? So, okay. Like, if we want to say, technically speaking, <laughs> it's not a bite-proof muzzle. It's like, it's yeah. pretty fucking close to a bite-proof muzzle, guys. Yeah. Pretty fucking close to one. I've been using these things for years and years and years. And I have definitely gotten bitten getting my finger through it one time. That has happened, right? Mm -hmm. But I've never been, like, really injured with one of these before. But on the... On the, the Flip side, I did work with a dog one time with this one, this piece of shit, right? Mm -hmm. And I absolutely got bit with this one before mm. one time, right? Is the, that's, that's how I knew as soon as I saw the picture yeah. of it. I was like, that one is trash because yeah. I have been bitten <laughs> with that one before. Yeah, experienced. <laughs> you know who it was? Fucking uh, Nike. Remember Nike? Oh, my God. Yeah, Nike bit me with one of these. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Forever ago, man. I was like, you little asshole.
But yeah, so that was the other big thing everybody had to say was the bite-proof muzzles, right? Yeah. It's like, guys, I promise you those muzzles are fine. The other thing, too, that's important to realize is when we're working with fear-aggressive dogs like this, he's not trying to hurt you, right? The intensity and commitment to biting is so low that all of the risks where you're going to run the potential of getting a bite through that with a really intense dog that's committedly trying to come after you, that's yeah. not this dog. No. Right? No, not at all. Honestly, the the risk that you run, it, let's say he didn't have the muzzle on, like what would probably happen is he would snap at those other dogs. He wouldn't be trying to bite like with intensity to like hurt them, but yeah. he could accidentally hurt them just due to the motion of coming at you really quickly. Yeah. And his tooth, like even if he's not clamping down, just like, let's say like, cause a lot of dogs do this, like da, 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 right. He's not biting, but like he's hitting you with the teeth, mm -hmm. right. Which could run uh, a risk, obviously. Yeah. So, so let's see where are we at with things. <laughs> How long have we been going? Oh, an yeah. hour exactly. Yeah, Look at I was going to say. <laughs> so listen, we're gonna, we'll just use today to, to just wrap up on that particular topic. I got yeah. so many other freaking things to talk about. Hey, that's good. You though. know, but we got a guest for our next episode, so we'll have to save these for next time. Mm. But um, that's our, our reaction to our own fucking video. I recommend everybody, because that video, we posted the full YouTube video of his first social to show how we overcame it. And, you know, all these assumptions people were making about what we did or didn't do yeah. in order to stop it. If you would have literally just watched that, you would have realized everything you were saying was incorrect. Yeah. So, <laughs> so go watch the full YouTube video, guys. <laughs> yeah. You'll like it. I promise. We have it pinned to the top of our YouTube channel right now. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, again, this is like the, the, the take back of having short forum content, you know, reels and stuff. It's like, I only get 60 seconds to show you something. I don't even like to call it a take back. It pisses me off when people say like, oh, well, you should have said all of that in the short video. It's like, that's not what the short video yeah. is for, no. right? That short video, the intention of posting that was to give people hope that if you have a dog that does this, they can overcome it. You could see the progression. Mm -hmm. It's like a before and after to show, hey, this was what this dog used to do. This is what this dog is doing now, yeah. right? Then we post the long form content to mm -hmm. answer all of those questions. Yeah. And we specified in it, yo, there's a fucking long video. <laughs> Go yeah. watch the full video. <laughs> Please. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> so, but the problem is that, you know, people need to stop making assumptions on things, yeah. right? Because every single one of those comments was not derived from fact. It was derived from an assumption they made from the short form content. Yep. So, you know what they say about assumptions? Make assumptions assume. That's right. All right, guys. Well, we'll catch you on the next one. We got a yep. really sweet episode for the next one. We got a guest. Um, I don't. I. I'm, yeah. I we'll let it go. Because I feel like every time I say like, "Oh, this we're gonna have this fucking," episode, <laughs> they like back out last minute yeah. or some shit. So I'll, I'll wait to to say what it is. But you'll like it. I promise. It's a. It's gonna be a very unique episode if it happens. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So all right, catch you next time. See you.